and the mind free itself from the known. The known is knowledge. The knowledge which I have accumulated about myself, the knowledge which I have gathered through experience during my lifetime, the knowledge which I have invited, which has become my habit, the very structure of my being, and that is the me, and that is the you. As long as the mind holds on to the known, it will always be frightened of the unknown. And can the mind be free of it and yet use it? It can use it only when it is free intelligently. When it is not free, it will misuse that knowledge, which is what is happening in the world. The known is the past, and in that there is no possibility of creativity. The release of creative energy it comes into being only when thought remains in the field of the known and never moves over. So, the known as the yesterday, the unknown as the tomorrow, must move together harmoniously all the time. Then creativity takes place. If we are living always within the field of the known, which we are, then we are living Mechanically, thought has a legitimate place and it can only function in the field of the known. Therefore, thought can never bring about freedom. Thought is never new. And when one realizes, not verbally, not sentimentally, not ideologically, but actually, as the fact, then the mind is free from the known and therefore is free absolutely from fear and therefore the movement in harmony between the known and the unknown is creativity. And that, to me, is the significance, the meaning of life. <laughs> you should know that I have to, I must feature my favorite philosopher, J. Krishnamurti. Now, let me point this out. When he's talking about the known, when he's talking about knowledge and the mechanization of our responses, he's talking about psychological knowledge. I want you to understand, he's not talking about technical knowledge. We need repetition, replication for technical knowledge. 
Where knowledge trips us up is psychological knowledge, and you see that in your relationships. Are y'all peeping? He said, where thought is in control, what happens is we lose creativity. And if you look at some of the greatest artists in the world, Michael Jackson, Prince, these guys talk about their creative process. You, you see that they mention God. You see that they mention God like some of the things that come to us has nothing to do with our talent, has nothing to do with our skill set. It's about being in a space that is unencumbered by fear. Now, trans, transpose this thought onto relationships. You hear me talk about attachment theory a lot. John Bowlby's work. Krishnamurti said something so deep that I had to turn it into a relationship topic because it makes so much sense. And when we dig into it, you're going to find out this is why forgiveness is so hard. This is why our good brother T.D. Jakes would say, if you forgive somebody, keep an eye on them. That's psychological knowledge at work. Right? I forgave you, but I got to watch you. This is one of the most well-respected pastors, and he is highly respected by me. But he's teaching fear. Suspicion is fear. Now, am I saying you're supposed to be unguarded? No, I'm saying you're supposed to master the true meaning of forgiveness. But listen to this quote. It begins in school. And you go through life repeating what others have said. You are therefore second-class human beings. <laughs> because you pick up, you model things that you have experienced. And they become bedrock truths to you. Tonight, we're going to get into this. Are you a second-hand human being? A deeper look at our personal known that may transform us into monsters. You get a new relationship, but you're not free. You're not free of the past. You're not free of the psychological knowledge. You're not free of the wounds. You're not free of the unhealed trauma, the unrequited trauma. You're not free of any of it. The relationship might be new, but the problems persist. That's because you've never been in a space of freedom, which tells me you've never been in a relationship. Oh, I know y'all not ready for tonight. Let me read the quote again. Let, let me say it again. It begins at school and you go through life repeating what others have said. You are therefore second hand human beings. How does the repetition of what others have said contribute to the formation of secondhand human beings? Oh, my father said this. Oh, my grandmama used to do that. Listen, there are things you can carry over from your people, but not everything. And your job is to take the baton that is their collective wisdom and improve upon it. You can't improve upon it until you get outside the comfort zone of it. 
You can't get outside the comfort zone of what you modeled until you cha- uh, challenge what you learn from them. And many people respect their people too much to challenge them. In what ways does the educational system perpetuate the creation of second-hand human beings? You think because you read a book, you are wise? The book you're afraid to read is the book of yourself. And if you never finish that book or at least get halfway through, you don't even know how you're going to show up in a relationship. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I am guilty. Please do not take this to mean that I've mastered it. But I've thought about it deeply. Can you provide examples of how individuals become secondhand human beings through their experiences in school, in life, and in relationship? How many of you out there in your relationships faking it until you make it? How many of you out there in your relationships are wearing the youngin mask? Presenting, projecting, posturing, peacocking like you're something you're not. I've done it. I've done it. How does the concept of being a secondhand human being relate to the idea of conformity? Everybody else is doing it. Huh? How does not working it out become a fad? (laughs) Oh, Lord, are y'all ready? Krishnamurti said something else that was quite profound to me. He said that technologically speaking, we are a uber advanced society. But psychologically speaking, we are a spiritually impoverished society. And where there is spiritual poverty, there are impoverished relationships. Regardless of uh, the plaques on your wall, the trophies you got, uh, the degrees you have, the job you have, you're still spiritually impoverished. Because the only school you can ever graduate from is the school of relating. And the school of relating is a direct reflection of how one relates to oneself. How many lies do you tell yourself every day? If you're lying to you, you're damn sure lying to your partner. I'm not going to lie. I've lied to myself a lot. (laughs) I'm not. I'm in it with you. We are doing this together. Is it possible to break free from the cycle of being a secondhand human being? If so, how? What role does critical thinking play in in preventing individuals from becoming second-hand human beings. Your people didn't give birth to you for you to relive what they did. Oh, no. (laughs) More than, almost 60% of communication in human relationships is nonverbal. So imagine what you're modeling from your broken home. You think because they both had jobs and that they both put chicken pot pies on the table and that you got the latest backpack and the nicest new Nikes that somehow your family wasn't broken? I don't know if y'all ready for tonight, man. I, 
I don't know. The number to dial is 1-800-920-1580. I want to hear your thoughts. Reliving. You're supposed to break through the modeling. You're supposed to become an, a, a high-level architect of self. That's what you're supposed to do. You can't do that until you tear down what built you up. And what built us up is our upbringing. When I come forward, the voice of reason, I'm going to keep cooking with these questions and these thoughts. I want to stretch your perspective tonight. We got a lot to talk about. Experience, satisfaction, duality, meditation. We all want experiences of some kind. The mystical experience, the religious experience, the sexual experience. The experience of having a great deal of money, power, position, domination. As we grow older, we may have finished with the demands of our physical. As we grow older, we may have finished with the demands of our physical appetites, but then we demand wider, deeper, and more significant experiences, and we try various means to obtain them, expanding our consciousness, for instance, which is quite an art or taking various kinds of drugs. This is an old trick which has existed from time immemorial. Chewing a piece of leaf or experimenting with the latest chemical to bring about a temporary alteration in the structure of the brain cells. A greater sensitivity and heightened perception which gives a semblance of reality. This demand for more and more experiences shows the inward poverty of man. We think that through experiences we can escape from ourselves, but these experiences are conditioned by what we are. If the mind is petty, jealous, anxious, it may take the very latest form of drug, but it will still see only its own little creation, its own little projections from its own conditioned background. Most of us demand completely satisfying, lasting experiences which cannot be destroyed by thought. So behind this demand for experience is the desire for satisfaction, and the demand for satisfaction dictates the experience. And therefore, we have not only to understand this whole business of satisfaction, but also the thing that is experienced. To have some great satisfaction is a great pleasure. The more lasting, deep, and wide the experience, the more pleasurable it is. So pleasure dictates the form of experience we demand, and pleasure is the measure by which we measure the experience. <laughs> That's chapter two from Krishnamurti's book, Freedom from the Known. Satisfaction is the engine and so we turn even spiritual pursuits into ambitious ones. Relationship is a spiritual pursuit. Ambition should be nowhere near it. But because we live in a capitalistic society, a transactional society, ambition is interwoven into intimacy. Intimacy itself is spiritual. I don't know if you guys... If you look around at the quality of our relationships today, if you look around at the talking points around our relationships today, 
is there any wonder why most of them fail? Why relationship is a revolving door? Your satisfaction is conditioned by your experiences. And many of your experiences were traumatic, were hurtful from childhood on. From childhood on into adulthood. And you think you're going to get happily ever after. You have to learn how to reconcile what made you in order to have what you dream of. When we come forward. (laughs) You want me to keep going? I'll keep going. Tonight on the VOR. I'm aiming to merge the concepts of Jiddu Krishnamurti's philosophy on freedom from the known with John Bowlby's attachment theory, exploring how uh, revealing what has what what one has modeled can lead to becoming a secondhand human being by examining the impact of attachment patterns on the formation of beliefs and behaviors, we can understand how attachment experiences contribute to the perpetuation of secondhand living. This (laughs) integration offers insight into the importance of breaking free from attachment-based conditioning so that we can embrace authenticity and personal growth. So many people don't know how to be a real human being in a relationship. Everybody want to be perceived as if they got it together. Everybody wants to be perceived as if they're all good, as if they are without fault, as if everybody else gets it wrong. That's just not possible. You came here incarnated here on this plane of existence which is a spiritual school you came here to learn just how magnificent you are and the only way to do that is to understand the value that experience hurt disappointment, disillusionment, dissatisfaction, upset, what it has to teach you. There's, listen, there's never going to be a time where you get exactly what you want. You might get it and then realize that it isn't enough. How many times have you pined over getting something and once you got it, you were like, hmm, now that I got it, uh, yeah. Well, I got it, (laughs) right? Sometimes we pine over a person, and then once we get them, we realize, oh, maybe not. There's work internally that must be embraced. If the work is not embraced, growth cannot happen. What is your perspective of of yourself? Is it aggrandized, right? Do you marginalize the work that is necessary to do in order to grow up spiritually? Do you do you say, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow? Huh? 
I want you guys to understand. We came from slaves. And a lot of what happened to them, we came from Jim Crow. And a lot of what happened to them, we came from the black codes. And a lot of what happened to them, we came from redlining. And a lot of what happened to them exists today. Oh, that was 150 years ago. You think 150 years of torture? <laughs> wait, 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 excuse me. 400 years of torture? 400 years of torture is not in your DNA somewhere? But we'll listen to Bill Lipton when he talks about the biology of belief. When he talks about epigenetics. Oh, I got a lot to talk about when we come forward. The voice of reason is going to the phone lines. The ending is, is tremendously important. The ending of a habit, smoking or whatever habit one has, to end it. So one must understand what it means to end something without effort, without will, without asking, if I end this, will I get that? Then you are in the market. Wait, 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 stop it. I, I just pause that. <laughs> Learning how to end something without a payoff. He said the ending is very important. We end relationships because we feel like it empowers us to do so. I ended that, so now I'm going to do better. The, my next situation will be better. There's, there's hope that comes from an ending. But none of us, I mean, we're good at ending relationships, but we're not good at ending the tyranny of unrequited wounds. We're not good at that. We don't even touch those wounds. Those wounds have a skybox in our next relationship. We're good at ending relationships, but we're not good at confronting ourselves, which is confronting the wound. Go back. You're in the marketplace, say, I'll give you this, give me that, which most of us consciously or unconsciously do. This not ending. To end and find out what happens. So in this same way, death. Please hold hold on to a minute. Don't say. Oh, many of us are relationship murderers. We know how to kill it, but we don't know how to bring it back. We don't understand Lazarus. We can't raise a relationship from the dead. Listen, 
When you've completed the lesson, you've killed its purpose. It no longer needs to persist. Right? When you kill the purpose of the wound, it no lo- you've gotten better because the wound has lost its authority. So if this person was the facilitator of the skill set you developed, this is why a lot of people are salty. I built that person up for the next person. No, you didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. They're still the same person. 99.999% of the time. They may look better. They may have more money. But they still have the wound in charge. This is what's so important. When is the last time you had a relationship free from the tyranny of trauma? Are are y'all listening to me tonight? Attachment theory and secondhand living. Attachment theory developed by John Bowlby explores the impact of early attachment experiences on on an individual's beliefs, behaviors, and relationships. These attachment patterns can influence one's tendency to become a secondhand human being, as Krishnamurti would call them. As they shape the way the individuals perceive themselves and others. Formation of secondhand beliefs and behaviors. Attachment experiences, particularly in childhood, can shape an individual's beliefs and behaviors. If one attachment figure modeled secondhand living, such as conforming to societal expectations without critical examination... The individual may internalize these patterns and perpetuate them in their own lives. Are y'all listening? Attachment patterns and conformity. Attachment patterns characterized by anxious or avoidant attachment can contribute to a tendency to conform and become second-hand human beings. Anxious individuals may seek validation and acceptance. I'm one. I'm one. I'm anxious. Anxious, preoccupied. I believe I am. Right? Anxious individuals may seek validation and acceptance, leading them to adopt beliefs and behaviors without questioning them. Avoidant individuals may fear rejection and isolation, driving them to conform to societal norms to maintain social acceptance. Breaking free from attachment-based conditionings. Conditioning. To break free from attachment-based conditioning and avoid becoming a second-hand human being, individuals must recognize and challenge Their attachment patterns. This involves developing self-awareness, questioning inherited beliefs, and cultivating the courage to embrace authenticity. And people running around here today talking about keep it real. But if I sit you down and say, what's your attachment style? I don't know. You don't even know yourself. But you say you're keeping it real. Real vague. Real confused, real amb- ambiguous, 
real egoic, real fearful. Y'all ready? Let me get these callers in here. I'll go all night. Y'all done, y'all done got me in my wheelhouse. Let me get my brother Reggie from Austin, Texas. Get in here. What's up, man? Um, at, at this point, I'm, I'm not even arguing about what you're saying. Um, it makes a lot of sense, and I get it. What I, what I need is some, some help with, with what you're saying um, for it to make sense to me and what, what, I, what I believe. Um, I believe that, that, that we learn who we are in relation with others. And there's only so much that you can learn about yourself by yourself, mm-hmm. um, absent the gift of, of solid relationships. Mm-hmm. My, my question is, how do we gauge our, free, our freedom from our past so that we don't waste the time of people that we're in relationships with by you get in a relationship and you're like, man, I'm not free from, from the things that happened in my past. Well, you just wasted the time of the person that you're with. How do you gauge that by yourself before you get involved with somebody else? Well, number one, I will push back on the concept of wasting time. I will push back on that because every experience is a learning one if you're looking to learn. That's number one. If you're looking to learn, it's only wasted if you're looking to get, right? I just want to get from this partner, from this person. I just want to receive something from this person. Most people are don't have it. They have it in reverse. They're not looking to receive from themselves, right? Because they don't go in looking at how they show up. I'm guilty of this, brother. I'm guilty. I go into right. the relationship. It's like, okay, how, how, how am I going to get from this person, right? But really, it should be, how do I show up and how do I show up inadequately? That's the real getting, right? Mm -hmm. Secondarily, the question about being able to gauge. First, you need to look at who raised you critically, honestly, and objectively. Because sometimes our view of them is obfuscated. Because we love them. But sometimes you got to look at them in a serious, honest way and say, this was their setback. This is their shortcoming. How does that manifest in me? Right? Because that's what attachment styles show us, right? Insecure attachment Mm -hmm. style. How did they fail me when I needed them? And how has that shown up in my relationship? Sometimes it'll show up in your relationship as a demand that your partner becomes the spiritual multivitamin, the supplement for what you didn't get when you modeled them. Do you see? Wow. Yep. So it makes sense. So, so, so now it's you do it because they didn't do it. Do you see? Mm-hmm. That's how you gauge it. And it's constant self-awareness. And many of us can't look at our partners in a true light because we don't look at ourselves in a true light. We don't look at ourselves objectively because there's parts of ourselves. Remember, we talked about this uh, early last week when I said we only like half of ourselves. We don't like the whole self. Carl Jung, people will do anything no matter how absurd To avoid looking at themselves. You want the best kind of relationship? You got to have all eyes on you. Make sense? That that part does. Absolutely. Um, Do you always have to reexamine parts of yourself? Or can you just take 
um, certain parts of yourself for granted as, okay, this is who I am, and 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 just go on from there? Because, I mean, at, at this point— Great question. It seems— you know what I'm saying? It's like, do you always have to go back and say, okay, who am I today? Well, if you're learning, if you're growing, because growth is a daily process, if you're engaged in that process. So, again, when you say, who am I today? Well, if you've done nothing between today and yesterday, you ain't got to ask that question. Right. Right. Yeah, I got you. You see? You see? Absolutely. Hey, man, let me me just say this, brother. I love when you call in. Guess what you just (laughs) did? Before I sit in the building. Austin, Texas is in the building. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call us. We got a national discussion going on right now, and it's on fire. When I come forward, more callers. I just want to create a vibe right now. That's what the voice of reason is on. There's excitement. There's tension. There's passion. Because there's inspiration. That's NY90 by Izzy. E-Z-Z-Y is the artist. The track is called NY90. All together, one word. We're we're in a very powerful topic tonight, right? And I'm talking about not being a secondhand citizen or a secondhand secondhand person in a relationship, right? In life. What makes us secondhand is that we take wounds, generational tasks, beliefs, limiting beliefs from those we modeled. So I thought that it would be interesting to uh, integrate John Bowlby's work with the great Krishnamurti and his work. Krishnamurti's book was Freedom from the Known. John Bowlby talks about attachment theory, uh, different attachment styles, right? And you have uh, dismissive avoidant, you have fearful avoidant, you have secure attachment. Not everybody is secure, but guess what? You can become secure by recognizing what your attachment style is. You have insecure attachment, you have anxious preoccupied, you have disorganized. There, There are different attachment styles based on how your work in progress caregiver in the beginning of your life showed up for you in every moment. And I would I would imagine that even the best mama, right, the best caregiver couldn't show up in every incident. So maladaptive attachment styles form. These attachment styles go with us into our adult relationships. Breaking free from attachment-based conditioning. It's difficult. But you have to delve into authenticity. In my book, The Shrouded Lighthouse, chapter 14, I talk about the art or the way, the Tao of self-authorship. You defined by you. You on your terms. Authenticity and secure attachment. Secure attachment categorized by a sense of safety and trust in relationship, provides a foundation for authenticity. 
Individuals with secure attachment styles are more likely to question social norms, explore their own beliefs, and resist becoming secondhand human beings. Do you understand? A secure attachment doesn't need someone to validate. A secure attachment doesn't need someone to provide a safe environment for them. In the relationship construct. This is heavy stuff tonight. Are y'all ready? I got callers on the line. I want to get them on. Uh, let's get Sean. He's been on the longest. Sean from Oakland, California. Get in here. Hey, brother. How Star are you? fishing coffee, maple <laughs> serpent jam, butterscotch clams, a tangerine, a side order of ham. If you set your mind free, baby, maybe you'll understand. So what I'm listening to here is I agree with most of what you're saying. But look, I mean, a lot of people believe in fallacy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people believe in things that just are not true. And that sometimes deviates from what they learn from their, you know, parents or, or relatives or, or teachers or all of that. You, you got to – the foundation – to me, is understanding that there's got to be overwhelming evidence. But because wait, there is. but wait, Sean, hold oh, go on. Ahead. Go I, ahead. I gotta, I gotta carry you over. Hey, when yeah. we come forward, Thank we going back to Oakland. Sean is in here cooking. I'm Bill Moyers, and I want to share with you a moment from our series on Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. Campbell knew more about the world of mythology, the great stories human beings have told ourselves since the dawn of history than anyone of his generation. Does a movie like Star Wars fill some of that need for the spiritual adventure for the hero? Oh, it's perfect. It does the the cycle perfectly. It's not simple morality play. It has to do with the powers of life and their inflection through the action of man. One of the wonderful things, I think, about uh, this uh, adventure into space is that the narrator, the uh, artist, the one thinking up the story, is in a field that is not covered by our own knowledges. Do you, when you look at something like Star Wars, recognize some of the themes of the hero throughout mythology? Well, I think that George uh, Lucas was using standard mythological figures. The old man as the advisor, well, specifically, what he made me think of is the uh, Japanese sword master. Remember, a Jedi can feel the force flowing through him. I've known some of those people, and um, this man has a bit their, their character. Well, there's something mythological, too, isn't there, in the sense that the hero is helped by this stranger who shows up and gives him some instrument, a sword or a sheaf of yeah, life. I really want to play all of that, but I'm not. I, I, I want to drill down on why I played it. The hero's journey. Who is your first hero but your primary caregiver? How many of you grew up? With Darth Vader. What is the story of Darth Vader in Star Wars? He started off good and went bad. 
because of unhealed or requited wounds. He was taken from Tatooine as a boy. He was won in a bet because he was a slave. He was won by a Jedi master who recognized that he was probably going to be one of the most powerful Jedis ever. But he had to leave his mother, his primary caregiver, his hero. Do you understand? So then he grows up. He gets a woman, which is against Jedi rules. He gets her pregnant. They get married against Jedi rules. And then he starts having visions about her dying in his dreams. And because his mother died, she was captured by some monsters or some some strange sand people. And they tortured her and killed her. And he found them and his, and his mother when he became an adult. And then what did he do? He killed everybody in that village for doing what they did to his mother against the Jedi code, going down the dark side. He carried that darkness into his adult relationship. He started to have those visions. And then his mind shifted to, I need to save her from death. And he became hell bent on that. He didn't recognize he was being groomed by an evil person that stoked the darkness in him. Do you see? And thus he becomes Dark Father, Darth Vader. He was a work in progress. How many fathers or mothers raised you in, that, that, that had an unrequited darkness in them, that had an unreconciled darkness in them? Do you see? I'm <laughs> That's why I played it. We got so many callers on the line. Let me let me get the callers in here because they're this is a national conversation. They're from all over the country. Sean, I want you to finish your thought here, please. Well, brother, you just hit something. So guided participation relationships. That's how it all works across the globe, which means that we all learn from someone wiser than us that are role models. And if they're actually role modeling and doing that, um, it's wonderful. But it also could be bad. You know, it could also be uh, giving us some wounds. So my point is, we all take from those who were role models, right? I mean, because every one of us has to learn from somebody. Let's not try to pretend we do it on our own, all by ourselves. Right. That's not the way it works. But we can get misled and everything else. The, the key is that you're always making adjustments. You're always looking back. You're, you're assessing where you're at in the situation that you're at right now, and you're trying to make adjustments. And hopefully it isn't just about money, you know, although we need that to survive. I get it. I'm not a fool. Um, you're making adjustments based on the quality of your life because, you know, when you have kids, Everything that matters is what about the quality of their life? So you want to set them a foundation that they can then make adjustments, like I'm just saying, uh, about it. So, you know, that's the key because all of us elders or my elders before me and back, back, back and back, we're doing the best we can, but it doesn't mean we had it all figured out. 
That's right. Hey, Sean, guess what you just did? Brother, I brought Oakland in the in the building, but I love you so much. Take care. Oaktown in the building. If you want to join this conversation, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. We got Truemonger, Dallas, Texas. Get in here. Truemonger, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm here. Talk to me, man. What are your thoughts on tonight's topic? Oh, boy. Man. <laughs> you had to think about it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's why, that's why I don't rush to call in because I want, I want to process it. Um, I think I think a lot of people are secondhand human beings and they're scared to have an original thought because it'll make them, it'll force them to stand out from everybody else. A lot of people want to fit in. You know, it includes relationships. Wait. Or, always... wait, or you said a lot of people don't want to have an original thought. I'm saying most people don't want to have an original love. That's true. Go ahead. Because they always, because a lot of people try to pattern their relationships based off of movie scripts, watching TV shows. Or, or home. This fantasy period. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, they don't write their own script by how they want to operate. Um, they go with what they were indoctrinated with. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to get married by a certain age here. He has to be able to provide this, provide that. You basically turn to a servant for him. And this is and whatever. Where all that mess that people just fall into because they, somebody else told them to do it. Because that's how they did it. They never came up with their own, they never wrote their own script mm. about how they want to do it. Mm. You know? <laughs> True monger, you cooking, brother. Hey, what did you do? We brought Dallas in the building. Dallas, Texas is in the building. What city is next? Who wants to join this powerful national discussion? I'm loving it, by the way. The number to dial is 1-800-920-1580. True is always fire, and I definitely appreciate what he has to say. Let's get who's been on the longest. John, Mountain View, Hawaii. Get in here. In the building, greetings and blessings, everybody. Just want to go off the topic of what's going on. And I go to question four that you had on uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. What are the consequences of being a second-hand, second-hand human being in the terms of a personal growth and self-discovery? Mm. Uh, applying yourself to the love standards that someone who measures you by your height, your penis size, and your wallet. Mm. Mm. The the individual context of all the things that men have to suffer through to doggone be with someone they claim to love. Mm. But where's the loving? Because, mm. again, if I got to do all of these things, which, again, it's not a job interview. It's a relationship. Mm. But at the same time, as a human being, have I chosen the sovereignty level I need to be on? Mm. So I can set the stage for a woman to come into. Mm. I hear you. I hear you. Keep going, brother. Keep going. You you, you cooking. These are the things that come to mind. As, as I sit here in this space, Hawaii, paradise, and even it has got trauma. Mm. Even it has got issues. Have you paid the price of living in paradise yet? Heavy stuff. (laughs) 
Oh, heavy stuff, man. Heavy stuff. John, what did you do? I brought Mountain View in the house. Greetings and blessings. Yes, Mountain View is in the building. John is over here cooking. Listen, this is a national discussion. I am excited about everybody's contribution. We are building together. I love this feedback and interaction, attachment, and emotional liberation. We're going to deal with it when we come forward. Man. That playlist. When the conversation is this rich, the music has got to match it. That's Winding Road by Freddie Jokum. Look it up. Fire track, tonight's topic. And listen, I'm not talking about having a good father or a good mother who, who taught you how to stand up straight and look a person in the eye and, and make sure you shake their hand with a firm grip. I'm not talking about these aspects of knowledge. We're talking about what they did not reconcile internally and how you modeled that and how you carry that into your adult relationship for reconciliation. Wounds want to be reconciled. And the only way that wounds can be reconciled, or one way that wounds can be reconciled, is through conflict in relationships. Right? Attachment and emotional liberation. Integrating Krishnamurti's philosophy with John Bowlby's uh, attachment theory highlights the importance of emotional liberation in breaking free from secondhand living. By understanding and healing attachment wounds, individuals can cultivate emotional resilience, authenticity, and the ability to live in alignment with their true selves. Who's talking about this in relationship today? Everybody wants to use the trauma word, but they don't understand what it means. They don't understand its impact. You know why? It's a buzzword. Everybody uses it to sound deep, but it's much deeper than that. Right? The role of mindfulness and self-reflection. Mindfulness and self-reflection are essential tools in breaking free from attachment-based conditioning, and it leads to embracing authenticity, the authenticity of who you really are. As Reggie brought up uh, previously, Carl Jung talks about the integrated self. In order to become the integrated self, you must bring your shadow to the surface with your persona. This is me collectively. And I thought I was crazy when I was younger. Even now, if I meet somebody that I'm interested in, they get caught up in the niceness of me, the, the cool of me, the, the intellect of me. But I say I'm God and the devil at the same time now. Don't just focus on what you like about me. You're going If you stick around long enough, you're going to pick up on things that you might not like about me, that irritate your soul. But nobody asked the question, why does it irritate my soul? Is there a purpose for what's wrong with you 
irritating me, we've distilled it down to just get away from them. <laughs> right? Am I lying? Listen to me now. By cultivating present moment awareness and exploring one's thoughts and emotions, individuals can identify and challenge secondhand beliefs and behaviors. Krishnamurti's philosophy and John Bowlby's attachment theory emphasizes the importance of embracing vulnerability and fostering genuine connections by developing secure attachments and cultivating authentic relationships. Individuals can resist becoming secondhand human beings and experience a deeper personal fulfillment. Are y'all ready for what we're doing tonight? The phone lines are jacked. Let's get everybody in here. Atala, Houston, Texas. It's time to shine. Let's go. What are your thoughts on tonight's topic? Uncle Joe, good evening. How are you? Good evening. Um, good evening. Okay, so I um I wanted to address the question that you had about the um, education system, right, Um, in regards to this topic. So, as you know, I'm an educator. Uh, got out of the classroom for good reason. Why? Because I view the education system as a representative formation factory. That is where we start to build our representative a lot of times, especially when you hit middle school. Um, and especially with the way that the education system is structured today, it's removing your challenges. It removes the self-work. And then you're basically like a spiritual vegetable, low-key, right? Mm. Uh, they're telling you what to think, how to think, when to think it. Um, they're also erasing your individuality and your identity because you have to color in the line that starts in kindergarten. Um, and I think as a teacher, what I've learned is that in order for me to assess effectively the impact that I have on my students, I have to understand the lessons that they're teaching me. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. So, I love you're that. You're talking about... Yes. And if you're talking about low performing schools where they're starved of resources, you know, you starve a child of a resource and they start to hunger for a better experience. So that's where you see the drug use, the gangs, the, you know, hanging out with friends. They don't want to be at school because they want that experience of relationship, but they can't really grab it because they're in a system that doesn't appreciate that. Right. And and we're human beings. So everything that we touch, everything that we create is going to be somewhat ajar. It's going to be somewhat flawed. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, some people uh, and I would say I, I can say the brother's name is Dr. Umar Johnson. What he said about the education system is not is that it's not educating people. It's indoctrinating people. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let, let's let's take that a little bit further then. Right. What do institutions do when they are devoid of spirituality? And I'm not talking about dogma. I'm not talking about religion. What do institutions do to the human mind when they are devoid of spirituality? Hmm. I mean, that's going to become your God. That is your God. That is your your image that you're going to model yourself after because they're not teaching you to seek real truth or self-knowledge or actualization. They're teaching you to, 
to mold, to conform. Conform. Krishnamurti is where he uses all the time. Conformity. I would say, and it, I would use a different word, but it practically means the same. Institutions that are devoid of spiritual context, spiritual value, spiritual equity, institutionalize. Mm-hmm. So there's no difference from a man who's serving 25 years and get out and he's still on jail time because his mind is institutionalized than somebody that spent 35 years in school and knows nothing that about themselves. That part. Yeah. That part. That part. Yeah. I, you know, I would also say, too, um, with the education system, I think that they're trying new ways. Like, so they might be bringing in technology or things that. You know, they feel kids might be into, but they're still missing that crucial component of getting the student to identify with self right. and figure out what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Um, and so and I don't know if it's purposeful, but I will say that it's very destructive. Man, Atala, guess what you just did? I brought Houston in the building. Houston, Texas is in the building. Now it's all L.A. What up, L.A.? L.A. is in the house. I love it when L.A. shows up strong. It's all L.A. in the building. Who's been on the longest? I'm staying on point. Get in here, L.B.C. What are your thoughts on tonight's topic? Alasia family. Um, So much to say, so little time. First, I would say this topic reminds me of just being able to have the courage and the discernment to break the generation the generational curses, mm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I am known as the black sheep of my family, and I'm proud of it. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that everything that I learned from my family is bad or was given to me in ill intent. I just now, as I continue to grow on my spiritual journey, I have the discernment to know what to apply and let fly. Come on! <laughs> What to apply and what to let fly. Somebody meme it. Some I want to see it on Instagram. Somebody meme it. What to apply and what to let fly. Go ahead. I love it. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. I don't really. You know, I spend my days. If we want to go into the good book and I paraphrase, it says that you have to die to self daily, and that's what I'm doing. Mm. I see the thing that doesn't apply to my life, so I have to fight to not be drawn to that anymore. Mm-hmm. Because when you come to that realization, wait, wait, how wait. many years have wait, passed just, by? Just hold on. You're cooking. I got to carry you forward. Save that topic. When we come forward, we going back to the LBC. It's on fire tonight. Now, down below there, we have the shadow as Jung calls it, it's like the blind spot for ego. That about yourself of which your (coughs) ego is completely unconscious, of which it has no knowledge whatsoever. (laughs) I've rendered it in a series of separate strokes. This shadow, in Jung's terminology, corresponds almost precisely to the Freudian unconscious. The Freudian unconscious is constituted of repressed experiences, repressed shocks that the infant, first the infant and then later the growing uh, child, has experienced. Uh, 
Jung's first interest in Freud was in Freud's theory of the mechanism of repression. What is it in the psyche that so puts these things out of sight that consciousness is completely unaware of them? And it is these shocks that have set up the slant, the posture, the, uh, the structuring attitude of the individual uh, to life. It's these that constitute the personal unconscious. The shocks that will have uh, upset and uh, transformed the life experience of one person will not be precisely the same as those that will have done so for another. And so the shadow is the order of what Jung calls the personal unconscious. On the other hand, the self is a function of the biology of the body. We have two things here. We have a basic human biology and we have then a system of individual experiences, both in the unconscious realm as far as our ego knowledge is concerned. It's out of those centers then that dreams come and dreams of course will be primarily personally oriented. They will have come from the shadow system mostly, but the shadow system rests on the deeper ground. When we come to myths, the imagery is out of the general system. And Jung speaks of two orders of dream. There'll be one order of symbols that you inter can interpret by personal associations, the free association technique that Freud uses. But there will be then other images in your dreams at certain uh, critical moments in your life that uh, you cannot interpret through personal associations. They will be strictly mythological in their uh, character. I had a very amusing experience just only a couple of days ago. I was lecturing, and after the lecture... That is none other than Joseph Campbell, legendary Joseph Campbell, taught at Sierra Lawrence, Sarah Lawrence, uh, at, uh, in, in New York. Again, this is the guy who is the brainchild in a lot of ways behind George Lucas's cultivation of the Star Wars story because he was this master who taught on the power of myth. But what toxic myths have you modeled as a child and that you in turn carry into your adult relationships? I'm very interested to know. We have I'm staying on point. She was making points. What are your final thoughts here, love? <laughs> My final thoughts are, you know, depending on when you get to self-realization, uh, you have to be able to uh, have the courage to sift through all of the things that we consider normal growing up and have that understanding that it's not going to apply now is not going to benefit you, and it's definitely not going to benefit your relationship. Mm, I love it, I love it, I love it. Guess what you just did? I brought the LBC in the building. Now you know you in trouble, girl. I appreciate the call. If you want to bring your people in the building, all you got to do is call us at 1-800-920-1580. We got folks on the line that want to talk. We got Daryl from Los Angeles. Get in here. 
Let me up in the building. Let me up in the building. Yes. What are your Great thoughts, topic. man? <laughs> I think this pretty much uh, piggybacks on what we was talking about last week mm -hmm. in terms of who's playing games. Mm. Because if you're not in a constant state of consciousness in terms of not freedom for the unknown, I picked up that book as a result of when, when you had recommended it last year or whatever, mm -hmm. but um, it's really challenging to um, break out of those old patterns right? And identify who you really are. It's, it's, it's a, it's a constant struggle. Um, for me, at least, um, I, 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 I do it as a result of recognizing that, you know, it's almost like when you ask somebody, Hey, vanilla or chocolate, and you more than likely you're going to get chocolate. Mm -hmm. Well, you ask the person, well, why do you choose chocolate? Well, I like the flavor and this, that, and the other, but why did you choose chocolate? Because you never had it before. You gotta, you gotta choose. It's, in order for it to be original choice, you couldn't have had it before. But but you, but you have to why? get rid of safety. That part. Did you hear what he said? He said the uh, Krishnamurti. He talked about the past in the clip. The past is a prison. We're talking about psychological knowledge. Oh, this happened when I was a kid. Oh, I didn't get this. Oh, I wish my daddy would have been a different kind of daddy. Oh, I wish my mama would have treated me. And we carry all of that psychological knowledge into the relationship. That, And he says, where there is the past, i.e. psychological knowledge, there is a lack of creativity because creativity emerges from the unknown, not from the known. Talk to me. That's what I really, um, and that's what the school system does. To circle back to what the young lady was saying, very pointed. Um, the school system, to me, the school system is designed to keep you dumbed down. It used, it didn't, it wasn't always that way. We had trades, uh, trade classes where you can do auto mechanic and architecture and all this other stuff, but they took that out of the schools because they want. A students to wind up teaching and B students to wind up working for C students. Mm. And but you all worker bees. Wow. You, they the school system chokes off your creativity. Mm. They don't teach you how to be an entrepreneur. They don't teach you about writing checks, making money. They want to dumb you down so you'll be a worker bee for the five percent that's super wealthy because they're not going to be doing their dishes, watching the kids and working on, you know, doing their lawn. Right. So they need somebody to do that. And they also need somebody to be on the other side of that bank teller to take their money. Right. Mm. So it's, it's, it's all by design like that. And it's, um, it's, it's, um, but to, to circle back to the, the early development, that's how you, that's how you become your personality, you know, it's kind of big in the cake, as I said before, when you growing up in relationships, you know, you pass the girl and know I like you and I, it's all in the game. I right? love, hey, <laughs> hey, Daryl, I love you, but you want to make 89 points. They all good. I love you, Daryl. Guess what you just did, brother? Love you back, man. Love you back. Uh, Brought L.A. into the building. Los Angeles proper is in the building. If you want to bring your city, do it now. 1-800-920-1580. When I come forward, I'm going to South Central. And guess who just popped up? Nikki from the SIP. Hey, man, the voice of reason is an absolute vibe tonight. 
some of the most original talking points you'll ever hear about intimate relationships. The VOR is on complete fire, live from KBLA Talk 1580 from the heart of Lamert Park. My playlist is my co-host. Let it just let it sit underneath me real quick. Yeah, that track right there is called Carefree. The artist is called Dry Hope, featuring Gustav Gustav. Such a vibe. Carefree by Dry Hope. So on fire tonight. Andy said it sounds like we're in a cigar lounge. <laughs> hey! All right, let me get my brother in here real quick. You got to make it quick, though. JW, South Central, let me talk to you. What are your thoughts on tonight's topic? Hey, 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 my brother. You know, I got to make it make sense. I know I'm short with time, man. I have a lot to say, but I'll paraphrase. The bottom line is just like I always say, man, God created human beings because he, he wanted them to have relationships, right? Right. Because we're the most valuable and precious thing that he ever created. Okay, move, move far from that. The bottom line is this as well. We have been conditioned. We have been controlled. We have been manipulated. It's called psychological warfare. It's called society. We comply and we frame and form our thoughts and imaginations and dreams and and fantasies and our thought systems and all the, the rest. I'm not going to ramble, but you got the point. Uh, based on what society um, pushes, right? But like you said, our real true nature is a spiritual thing. And once you discover or uh, become aware of your real self, then that's when you recognize the, the lesson that should have been learned. Thank you, brother. Um, I, 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 we we got to keep it pushing. But I appreciate it, brother. You always call in and give me what I need. Guess what you just did? Well, South Central in the house, and I forgot to sit there. JW, South Central in the building now. Let's get our final caller on the line. Nikki from The Sip. Food for thought. Let's go. What's up, fam? Here's the food. There we go. Your, your fourth question about the consequences of being a secondhand human being in terms of growth and self-discovery. Consider this. People die from secondhand smoke all the time. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Continue, please. All, all, all the time. Mm -hmm. So if at some point we do not matriculate spiritually to the point where we are seeking source for ourselves, mm -hmm. not only is it a stunted growth, but it's a slow death at the same time. Mm. You not you are not taking drags off cigarettes with secondhand smoke, but that smoke in the room over a long period of time will kill you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it can't be an existence of secondhand human being experiences. It shouldn't be all of the time you're here or you you are going to experience a slow death and sometimes painful. And by the time people discover that, it's at the end. Mm, mm, mm. And as far as conformity goes, if you're not seeking source first for yourself at some point in your matriculation spiritually, you're going to stay in a conformity place because you're not going to challenge the concept of conformity. And because I came from a secure attachment circumstance, 
I'm going to vote me off the island first. I don't do group think. Mm, mm. I'm going to vote me off the island first. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, that's not going to work. Wow. And it's not going to work because I came through that environment where I was encouraged and challenged to seek source myself. Yes, I got all the stories and understanding from those who were around me. Mm-hmm. But they made sure as a kid, I understood, ask God yourself. Mm-hmm. Because again, we don't talk about the deaths from secondhand smoke, but they're still dead and they never smoked a cigarette. Nikki, I love you. Oh, Lord. Uh, Nikki is my auntie for sure. I love you, Nikki. Nikki, Nikki. My goodness, Nikki. Oh, you must have enjoyed this topic tonight. Well, I was working trying to save some of these lives over here with the secondhand issue. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you, Nikki. What did you just do? Brought the sip in the building. The sip is in the building because of Nikki. The sip is Mississippi. She was on complete fire. Let me give you a few final thoughts. Unlearning and relearning to overcome secondhand living. Individuals must engage in a process of unlearning and relearning. This involves questioning inherited beliefs. Exploring alternative perspectives and actively seeking knowledge and experiences that align with our authentic, with our authentic selves. But you got to discover the real you before you can find what aligns with the real you. The role of education and parenting. Education and parenting play crucial roles in preventing the formation of secondhand human beings by fostering critical thinking, encouraging independent thought, and promoting emotional intelligence. Educators and parents can empower individuals to resist conformity and embrace authenticity. The societal implications. The integration of Krishnamurti's philosophy along with John Bowlby's attachment theory has significant societal implications. It can promote secure attachment and encourage individuals to break free from secondhand thought, word, deeds, acts, everything that society puts in front of us on IG, on social media, right? We can break free from that, right? And that will allow us to foster and cultivate more internal authenticity, diversity, as well as societal mobility. The conclusion is, with the integration of J. Krishnamurti's philosophy on freedom from the known, with John Bowlby's attachment theory, it offers valuable insights into the formation of second-hand human beings and the importance of embracing the true you, the real you, the you that don't smell so good to your spirit, the you that you don't like very much, the you that you keep in a closet, right? By understanding the impact of attachment experiences on beliefs and behaviors, individuals can break free from attachment-based conditioning, 
cultivating a deeper personal growth, a more expansive personal growth, and that will allow them to contribute more to an authentic and compassionate society. We don't live in a real society in the sense that it's real. It only gets real when you get in trouble. It only gets real when you're broke. It only gets real when you break up. Do you understand when you're hurt, when you're wounded? That's only the time it's real. The rest of the time you're spent chasing, pining, hoping to get something that'll make you feel better. As opposed to understanding that you are better without what you're chasing. Without what you're chasing. Heavy stuff tonight. We started the conversation. But I really want you guys to finish it. Okay? I really want you guys to finish. This is something to ponder on. All you got to do is go to, uh, uh, what is it, Apple Podcast? Go to Apple Podcast. Look up Zoe Williams, Voice of Reason, KBLA, and re-listen to this show because it was great. Up next, the fire continues. RSVP with Jill Monroe.